Welcome to the Abundant Grace Podcast, where we discuss the gospel, freedom in Christ, and victorious Christianity. My name is Emily Lewis, and I am so honored that you are here. Sometimes Christianity can feel complicated or become heavy. I'm here to lighten that load. I pray that the chats had on this broadcast will empower and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Hi, friends. I'm so glad that you are here. Today, I have an interview for you with my friend Emily Wilson, and I really appreciate her story and her taking the time to share it with us. Um, She talks about how she came to relating to God on the basis of her own performance and how that was just something in her own heart and in her own personality. And I think it's especially valuable because it wasn't something that she picked up from a church or um, a religion, but something that was kind of personal to her. You might call it like personal legalism. And I just value her sharing her story and how legalism or performance-based Christianity can come um, from ourselves or from religion and so many different avenues. And she just speaks to that um, particular person very well. And I think that speaks to a lot of us, even if we did grow up in a legalistic culture, we all have tendencies to relate to God on the basis of our performance and our good works. And she also talks about sin and how when we acknowledge our sin, and that is what invites us into grace. When we acknowledge our failures and our inadequacies, it's not a comfortable topic and something that I think is shied away from. And we just want to talk about our worthiness or how Christ has saved us. But there can be a tendency to shy away from talking about our inadequacies now and the sin that is present in our lives and in our hearts right now. Uh, But when we do, like I said, that, that opens up the door for us to receive grace from God and mercy and lets us be truly worthy because it is all about his achievement and his worthiness. Enjoy today's episode. I know that you will be encouraged by it. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Could you please Introduce yourself to us and the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Emily Wilson. I live in Montana. I moved from a small area in Northern California, and um, my family was surprised to hear we live like in a hay field. So I I grew up in small town, but I have a lot of family in the city, and so that was that was fun to say we moved literally to the middle of a hay field. Uh, it's just a very, very different life for my family to imagine, but it's been a lot of fun. We moved here because my husband's a pastor at Grace Bible Church, and everyone who knew my husband knew that he really should live in Montana, uh, so that was that was neat. We had spent about eight years trying to uh, kind of eventually knowing we would get here, so it was really fun. I have a seven-year-old boy, a four-year-old daughter, and then our third a little boy was born May 3rd. So we have three kids and, um, and we're just, we're just happy and grateful to be here. We've been married 11 years and I'm just kind of overjoyed with what God is doing in our life right now. Kind of overjoyed. That's a funny way to say it. I am truly overjoyed. <laughs> right. So that's me. Thank you. 
So I'd like to jump into some quick questions just for fun um, to get to know you, uh, for our listeners to be able to get to know you. Um, so what is a verse or a passage that has kept you grounded in your faith? Yeah, so it was fun to think about it because, you know, there are different seasons of life where something will, you know, you'll hold on to it more. And um, the one that came to me today as I was preparing for this is Hosea 6.3. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord for as surely as the dawning he will come and as the dewdrops kiss the morning grass, so he will come for his own. And my mom sang that to me when I was a little girl. There's a little melody she learned it to. So I knew that as a song before I knew it was a verse. Um, and then as I've gotten older, and now I sing it to my kids, but the meaning behind it that we can press on to know the Lord because he is coming for us. And I think that that true knowledge of him and learning who he really is and pressing on in that because we have confidence in him that has come to mean a lot to me. I love that because he is knowable. He is. Knowable. Yeah. Um, if you could put anything up on a billboard, what would it be? Um, actually, my son asked me, the seven-year-old asked me this morning if I have a motto. Um, and I don't know what prompted that, that he would ask me, but I thought, well, that's kind of the same thing. Um, so I'll share that that uh, there's a quote from Jim Elliott. And he says, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And so maybe live to the hilt or be all there would kind of be the billboard version of that. But I like it because the, the world kind of talks like that in a rah-rah way. But if we have the confidence that history is working out according to God's will, then I actually can be fully present in what is happening um, because it's, it's what God has determined for right now. So I can just be at peace and be living. And so I think I don't really know what the world bases it on, but we have like, the full confidence of God to base that on. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That's a great quote. What are you thankful for today? Okay. And I was complaining to you before we started about the never-ending laundry, but I also did want to remember, that's what I chose to be thankful for today is that I have a washer and dryer. Mm. That was um, just to think of how it used to really be a full day of laundry and they didn't have nearly the clothes we have, but just the work of washing clothing. And I'm sure I'm in other parts of the world right now, the work of getting clothes clean and that's just, I have a washer and dryer. So I'm really grateful for that. Right. Yes. So handy. Whenever you hear the quote, like if you wake up tomorrow with what you were thankful for today or something like that, you know, that saying, what would you have yeah. tomorrow? For some reason, my washer, and my dryer always come into my mind. One of the first things. Yeah. That is good to remember. What I want, what I would like to have tomorrow to think of being thankful for it today. That's a good prompt. Mm -hmm. Makes you think of the mundane things that sometimes you might miss. So you were raised in church. When do you yeah. remember first being introduced to Jesus or hearing that he died for you? Yeah. So 
my dad was a pastor and a, and a really faithful, loving biblical pastor. So I didn't, I didn't really have baggage that came with that. My parents were deliberate about that. But I think my first memory of Christ is actually probably when I prayed to ask him into my heart when I was four, because I remember my mom going through, um, have you heard of the wordless book or kind of the presentation yes. through colors? Yes. Yeah. So I remember her just drawing the colors on a piece of paper in my room and, um, and wanting, wanting to believe that, that it was straightforward that I knew, I knew I had sinned. I knew he died for me. I believed that. So obviously they'd been talking about it to me before because it didn't seem like novel information to me, but I do, I do remember that. I really like that. Was there anything in that moment that specifically made you realize that you needed him? Or just the rehearsal of it over again? I think it was just, I, she probably was sharing it with me because I had been naughty, you know? <laughs> it was probably a, like, hey, so what are we going to do about this in your life? Um, you, need right. a, you need an answer for this. It just, it just seemed obvious. Also, I think I had the freedom to really love it because I saw it in my parents' life. You know, it seemed mm-hmm. like a beautiful, wonderful thing. So what was your relationship with Christ? Um, as you grew up and as you grew into that. Yeah. So in my personality, I'm a very performance-based person and it is just how I have always been put together. I related, I, I wanted to try to relate to my parents that way. I definitely related to my siblings that way, which made me a little bit of a snot to have as a sister. Um, and so I know that that's how I was naturally relating to God throughout my whole childhood and adolescence. Um, but I, but I know I, I know I loved him and that that was important to me. Jesus was, was special and, and sweet to me in my, in my heart. Um, I remember when I was nine being struck in a, in a family Bible time with my dad, just by how prideful I really was. And kind of starting to see that for the first time as a nine-year-old, that, that that was a sin that really ruled my heart. And so I know, I know I was beginning to be more aware of that, but I just knew that I wanted to earn things. Um, I, I wanted praise and favor and affirmation And I think, you know, some people personality wise, we thrive more on affirmation and that's not really a problem, but realizing that I was, um, wanting God's affirmation for my behavior, for, for me being a good girl and not, um, his affirmation that he has made me in his image, that I'm an image bearer and that I'm covered by the blood of his son, Jesus. And so I have been declared righteous. You know, I wanted affirmation still for things that I could achieve. Uh, so that, that certainly defined me. I remember being uncomfortable with people saying, there's nothing, there's nothing more you could do to, to make God more pleased with you in your life. And I look back on that and I think, why was I uncomfortable? And I know part of it was that I knew some of the people around me, that would be like in my high school. And I went to a Christian school. I knew friends around me who would take that 
and use it to say, it doesn't matter what I do because God's, you know, God's pleased with me. And so I'm fine. And I knew they were using that as an excuse to just really live in a really immoral life, you know? And so I thought, ah, oh, that's not it. But I didn't know what to do with the truth behind it, that God has declared you in Christ, either saved or you're not in, or you're not in Christ. So he's, he's pleased with you and has saved you or you're not in Christ and you're going to have to be judged. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just kind of stuffed it and basically wanted to live off of my own merit. And I know that wasn't being communicated to be to me by my parents. In fact, I know they were concerned with just my level of pride and this kind of achievement oriented way that I wanted to relate to God that I had come up with on my own. And, you know, when you're a kid growing up in a genuinely loving Christian home in a good church and with, with Christian friends, um, I think I could just fool myself for a long time into thinking I was earning something because I wasn't like, I wasn't really facing these terrible, horrible things around me or situations where I was realizing what deeply how sinful I was. So I could kind of fool myself into thinking I, I was doing a pretty good job with this whole sanctification thing. <laughs> Man, I'm good at this. Yes. Well, that sounds terrible. Yeah. I can but. totally relate though. That statement that you can't do anything more to, or nothing you can do will make God love you more. I can totally relate to that feeling uncomfortable. And it was because I wanted to be able to do something and I didn't understand how awesome it would be to completely relate to him on the basis of love. Like something else had to, I guess, relating to him in a different way was almost more controlling for me and less surrender. Cause I think that's a lot of what yeah. it boils down to. So what made you realize that it was all his grace and not keeping that set standard? So um, when I went away to college, I was in a very high stress environment. I went to nerd school and it was just, everyone was that same extremely driven high achiever personality. Um, which it's not the healthiest thing to put all of us in a room together like that um, for four years. And I, I started seeing stress um, just from that constant wanting to do and perform show up in my body a lot. So I had developed some breathing disorders and um, just from stress. And then um, I developed an eating disorder that was again just me wanting to be in control and so I was um binge eating and over exercising um to try to manage that and and it really began to bother me about myself that I knew I was doing something wrong I knew I wasn't taking good care of my body and and honoring that and I also felt like I couldn't get out of it. So it was something finally that came up in my life that really, really disgusted me about myself, not like in a false shame way, but there was some, there was sin that I knew was sinful. I couldn't figure out why I loved my sin and wouldn't put it aside. And I couldn't just like grit my teeth and get out of it. 
And so I was faced with that. And then I was still grappling with that some when I got married right after college. Um, it wasn't quite as extreme, but I, I still felt those tendencies and just this sense of, I can't, I can't be good enough. This is getting really exhausting. And then I started working full-time as a nurse and my husband was in seminary and I was exhausted. I had been put into a unit where I found out that they had hired me to be a personality buffer because it was a bunch of nurses who'd been there a long time and didn't like each other. Uh, and I was so chipper and cheerful. So they hired me to be this like cheerful person and that was getting really stressful. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't deal with not being enough in that situation either. I knew I couldn't fix it. I, I couldn't be enough. And I started really battling depression and I was working nights too. So I wasn't, I wasn't on a good sleep schedule and that was, that was pretty destructive for me too. So all these things really came together and I felt like, as I look back, like God, um, just really in his wisdom and his kindness to me said, Emily, if it is so important for you to earn it, I'm going to let you feel what it would feel like maybe to be trying this on your own for a little. And I'm going to remove a sense of my blessing. He certainly was not removing his blessings from me at all. But I think that comforting sense of his blessing and nearness and covering I think he removed that to allow me to see um, what it says in Proverbs, right? That there's a, a way that seems right to a man, but it's end, in the end, it's the way of death. And that's really, that's really where it came for me was, um, I just want to die. Not, not I want to kill myself, but I wish I could be dead and not have to carry this burden. This is just too heavy. I wish I could die for this stuff. And so I was on the phone with my mom and I was at a really low point. And that's what I, I verbalized to her. I wish I could just die for this. We were talking about sin and she stopped me. Em, wait, that's what Jesus did. He died for it. And if you died, you just die. <laughs> it couldn't pay for anything. But you're right. It deserves death. He died, sweetie. And it was this like big lights went on. I could just feel my heart take a big deep breath. And I finally saw it that that's what grace is. And, and so that's why I could say God in his kindness, you know, really removed the sense of his blessing because I finally could understand my sin deserves death and it, that's where, that's where it will take you. Even the sin of pride and self-sufficiency, it's going to take you to a point of death of some sort and to see, oh my goodness, that is the death that Jesus died. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. Oh, it was, oh, so transformative. It's, Oh, it was just everything. It was incredible. I know I was saved before that. I really believe I was saved as a child, but that, that understanding of grace, that was 10 years ago. And it has just so radically altered my life for the past decade. I'm so, I am so grateful to, 
to have been living with that freedom and not under the same burden as, as I've been, you know, growing in our marriage and um, learning to be a parent. I am really grateful Grace came to me um, before children. I think that was, <laughs> that was really God's kindness. <laughs> yeah. I love, uh, well, I can relate to a lot of your story, the part where you're uh, talk about how getting a hold of the gospel and the, that grace is so personal to you. It is so transformative when you realize, oh, I have been trying to earn this the whole time. And God steps back and goes, let me show you what it looks like when you're trying to earn it on your own. Or I just want you to know that you really are not capable of everything you want to think that you are. So basically it was just God stripping you of your own support that made you realize that you needed him completely. Yeah. That I wasn't sanctifying myself, that basically I had been living with a system of penance and I would kind of, I felt like I needed to show God how sad I was when I sinned, that I knew it was really bad. And so I needed to, you know, like, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I had that um, really, (laughs) I just limited that. Blessed are those who mourn, basically. And the comfort part was, was pretty irrelevant, that I needed to just show God, I do hate my sin, so I feel really bad. And now I'm going to feel really bad and guilty and, and do all these, I don't know, this kind of penance related things to prove how bad I feel about my sin. Mm. Well, that, that then also had some pretty terrible damaging repercussions in marriage. Right. Um, that like, honey, I know I was wrong. Cause I, um, you know, I was unkind to you or I, whatever it is. And so now I'm going to feel really bad. And now you'll know that I, I feel so terrible for having sinned against you, husband. Well, <laughs> there's, the, what a terrible cycle to try to put your new husband into of like, well, okay, Emily, thank you. I, I forgive you. And now what are you doing? Will you, <laughs> I, I can't possibly make you feel better when you're determined to feel bad. So what are, what are you doing, hun? Mm-hmm. And that was, that was not a pleasant not a pleasant way for my husband to have to live. And so to see grace and understand that in my relationship with God, it became so refreshing in my relationship with my husband. And then really a preparatory work God had done because when I got married, I didn't know yet that I have a genetic condition that was going to cause increasing pain for the rest of my life. And I got injured while I was working, I guess, in our third year of marriage. And that injury kind of spiraled some things that uh, exacerbated the genetic condition and led me to getting diagnosed. So I started having pain uh, that was life altering on a regular daily basis. And I had always been a really independent person. And then my husband had to start helping me with things and helping, you know, with laundry or some chores to keep the house clean. Um, 
And it was very, very frustrating to me that he would help me, which is terribly unkind of me to have this wonderful husband who's offering to help. And then I'm putting him in a really tight spot because now I'm upset at him for helping me. And I had to realize that what I was learning with God, I needed to put into place with my husband. And he had to tell me, Emily, this is not fair. You cannot be punishing me for being kind to you and helping you because it make, it reinforces to you that you can't do everything. I'm, I'm sorry that it makes you feel bad and reminds you that your shoulders are bad when I mop the floor, but I'm not going to just not mop the floor, right? I'm going to be kind to you and you need to learn how to accept that from me. So that was the fact that God had started me on that journey with him, you know, with, with God, I could then put that into play with my husband some more. And that really was essential for us learning how to relate and have a, you know, a happy, loving marriage in light of what I was going to be like physically Mm -hmm. um, for the duration of my life. Right. That was a big deal. Like you touched on, you had some genuine conviction from the Holy spirit. Like this is not right. But then also you had the like self inflicted guilt that was not healthy. And I think it's really important to differentiate those two is like you said, just because we're sorrowful doesn't mean that that would be, I, we need to stay in it, you know, because conviction leads to freedom. Jesus is calling us out of our sin into freedom and life, not putting us back into shame and bondage and guilt. There's like that right. distinction. Yeah. That we actually are supposed to be comforted, you know, that, that he followed it up. You will be comforted and there's nothing somehow righteous in saying, well, but I just can't be comforted yet because I'm really so sinful. Well, <laughs> his comfort is because of his righteousness that he's given to you. So you can't somehow be the remarkable person that was so sinful. Jesus couldn't comfort you. That's really prideful. <laughs> That's a really weird view of yourself. So not going right. to Yeah. Yeah. I have to do that myself a lot. <laughs> oh, man. So you've talked about how you've learned to receive grace from your husband. How else does the gospel impact your everyday life? Or how do you preach the gospel to yourself every day? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing was becoming a parent. And that, I mean, that's what I do all day. So that's where I see the gospel most of the time. And I think I remember talking to a friend of mine who, when she was um, just learning to parent with her first child, he was maybe in his first or second year. And she felt this pressure that, you know, she and her husband needed to be just the most wonderful example of Christians her son ever saw so that, you know, following Christ would be so sweet to him that he would really want it. And so we had to talk and think through that. And I had to question if that's really what I was thinking because it didn't sound very grace oriented. Um, this, like, if I don't make Christianity look good, my kids won't want it. And I got a hold of a book called Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick. Absolutely wonderful. And she really helped me see that if I'm, if I'm actually modeling grace for my children, that's what, that's what makes Christianity so special. She talked about it actually, um, that if, 
if your parenting isn't different from a Mormon mother's parenting, that you've really missed uh, the grace part that sets us apart. Because a Mormon mother will probably want to teach her children most of the Bible stories that I would um, and use a lot of the same language. So what makes it different? And it's been so sweet to see that now in my daily life that I get to show my children how to repent of sin and accept God's grace and forgiveness and offer that to them. So I don't have to be hiding the fact that I'm sinful from my children. One, you can't hide it, (laughs) but, um, but I can, I can just be open with, you're right. That was sinful. And I've asked Jesus to forgive me. And will you forgive me? And will you pray for me that mommy will be more and more like Jesus? And isn't it wonderful that when the father looks at me, he sees Jesus, he sees, you know, the perfect record of Jesus. And so learning to speak to my children that way was so helpful because then I had to, I had to ask myself, do I really believe this about grace? Is grace really true? Is it everything God says it is? Because if it is, I should be able to explain it to a three-year-old who has just asked Jesus into his heart. If it's true, then it, then it has to apply to my three-year-old and it has to be the way I can speak to him. And so learning to make something simple enough that a three-year-old can understand it really, really challenges you to understand it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember talking with my son and, and he had prayed to ask Jesus in his heart when he was three. And I believe it was a genuine thing he did. And so we started talking about then we, he really battled having tantrums. And so we've spent the last four years talking about this, that you, this is sin and there are consequences for sin. But if you really have Jesus in your heart, when God, the father looks at you, what does he see? And I remember explaining it to him, praying with him, you know, doing this for about a year and then asking him that one time, when God looks at you, what does he see? And he said in his little four-year-old voice, he said, Jesus all over me. It was just, it was just that perfect sweetness that that's right. That's, that's why you can go back to God again and again and again and again and say, I'm sorry for having this tantrum and losing my self-control and being unkind to my mom. Please forgive me. Please, please make me more and more like Jesus. Um, so that, I think that's how I see it most in my life is teaching it to my children so they have that freedom, but then also modeling it. So I remember talking with the kids oh, a year or so ago and uh, realizing that we were being more and more impatient with each other, getting ready and on the way to church. And, you know, my husband's a pastor, so he's out of the house really early on Sundays and it's just me and the kids getting ready and out the door. And so I talked with the kids about it, you know, we're being more impatient with each other. And I think we should start praying about that and asking Jesus to help us be more patient. So we stopped and we prayed and we'd been doing that for a few weeks. And, uh, so I commented probably three or four weeks later, Hey guys, isn't it wonderful? Jesus has really been helping us be more patient with each other. And I've noticed this. Can we stop and thank him together? And my son said, yes, but, um, mommy, I think that, um, Jesus has maybe been helping us a little more than he's been helping you. (laughs) And, And I had to like, oh, 
so I, I maybe haven't been being more patient with you. Well, no, not really. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Then I'm going to stop and ask for his forgiveness and for yours. And would you keep praying with me then that Jesus will help me be more patient? And I just had to realize in the moment, this freedom that, well, okay, my sin is not a secret from my children or from God. And isn't it wonderful that they have the freedom to say, Hey, guess what, mommy, you're sinful and you've been sinning against us. And they knew, praise God, that that was not going to make me angry at them or turn into a bad situation for them, that they could have the freedom to do that. And so I thought, well, God, in this weird way with my children, kindly chastising me for my sin, this is really grace. This means that grace is winning in our home because I'm not angry right now. And my children knew I wouldn't be angry, but I am sinful. And we're not trying to hide that. We're addressing that my sin and we can do that with freedom. It was just, it, it ended up being a really sweet moment for me where I thought, okay, God, then help us keep doing this. Help us keep talking about our sin with each other and going to you for forgiveness because there's really so much peace and joy in that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love mm-hmm. that way of approaching, well, life really, because that's what gets us in personal legalism or in how we teach our kids is, are we teaching them grace and the gospel? Like Elise says in her book, or are we giving them morals to live by? Are we kind of removing God from the equation and saying, here, here's your rules to live by. Um, good luck. And if you screw up, I'll just say, do better. <laughs> like we're not really helping, but how often do we do that yeah. as Christians? Like, I just going to do better next time. Like, no, we can't do better next time. We need him to do it through me, please. Yeah. So wh- I love that from her book. She said, you know, you tell your kids you have to obey and they say, I can't, I just can't. And then you say, Oh yes, you can. And you will. And that, um, remember that if they're saying, I can't, you have this perfect moment to say, okay, well, we're going to deal with the consequences here. And listen, I know you can't obey. I get it, kiddo. I get it. You need Jesus. You you need a savior because you need someone in your heart transforming you so that you can love my commands. You can love to obey. Otherwise you're right. You can't obey. I, I understand. Right. Yep. So what has been the most transformative thing in helping you understand that you needed that grace outside of like the life situations? What helped you grasp that personally? Um, I think as I've gotten older and really, I will say pain, chronic pain. Um, and that's why it's interesting there, you know, Jesus talks about how we will suffer. And I always thought that was really only about, um, uh, like persecution for faith. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've started to realize more and more that, um, he, I really believe he designed suffering in our life. And actually that in Hosea six, three, just before that, even they're talking about how God has, has basically broken us down so that he can build us back up. He's wounded us so that he can heal us. And in that process, he roots out all the, the awfulness that is keeping us from really being image bearers, really reflecting him correctly. And so I think the process of learning to deal with pain 
has, um, has revealed to me all this sin that is in me because I'm just, I'm more aware of my weakness. And so because of pain, I see my impatience and my like dramatic self-centeredness that just runs me. And as I see more and more of my sin, I just think, what was I ever thinking? Why did, why did I ever think I could somehow earn God's favor by sanctifying myself? What, what was that about? Because I'm really nasty in here. And, and isn't it just amazing that God covers me and, and I don't have to present this, this perfect day to him each day and say, well, here's, the good outweighs the bad. So I really did it today. So please accept me and I can go to bed with peace. But to just say, God, and, and really the older I get and the more, <laughs> the more children I parent, um, I see more of my sin and the more pain I have, you know, the more years this goes on, I just see more and more of this sin. And, and so I think the only thing I can do is more fully embrace the righteousness of Christ and his goodness that he would just count that to me. He would just credit it to me. He gave me faith. And then he said, I'm giving you my righteousness. You, this is credited to you. And you could never have even come close to this, Emily. So just take it, just take the whole credit. It's yours and live with that joy and freedom. And now I can look at my sin and it just every, every time I'm aware of it, say, oh God, forgive me again. That, you know, I don't want these, these simple thoughts that separate me from just the sweetness of fellowshipping with you. Um, but I think he makes me more aware of my sin so that I can be more grateful for grace and the fact that he has just gifted me with this relationship with him and salvation and eternity with him. That's, that just amazes me. Right. That exchange, his righteousness for my sin. And I know that's the gospel really simplified, but just as unbelievable. And like you said, sanctification, like I could sanctify myself. Like I really did used to think that I could, that something I did would like help me achieve or reach the pinnacle of whatever sanctification was supposed to look like on my own in my to-do list or performance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that joke, you know, um, God, I've done really well today. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't thought anything immoral. I haven't, um, been unkind to anyone. I really haven't been that prideful or self-centered and it's been such a great day and I'm just about to open my eyes and get out of bed. So if you could please help me, that would be great. (laughs) That's kind of, I mean, it's really, I just love that. That's basically how it goes of waking up and like, well, so far it's good. Oh, wait, actually, no, nope. I've sinned and I really need you. (laughs) And I'm just starting the day. Yep. hundred percent need you. Yep. And so thankful that he is 100% sufficient for it because there isn't anything that we offer and we're acutely aware of that now, but that just makes his sufficiency all the more worth celebrating. Thank you for taking the time. I think we could just chat forever. I know. <laughs> so fun. Thank you very much. It was wonderful and very sweet to just be able to talk about it again. 
Well, we'll have we'll come up with some other reason to have you on, so that we can chat again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thanks for listening to the Abundant Grace podcast. I would love to connect with you, either to hear your story or hear your comments on today's episode. You can find me hanging out on Instagram, emily.abundantgrace, or send me an email, hello at emilyklewis.com. That's emily, the letter K, L-O-U-I-S dot com. Until next time, remember, God's grace abounds and won't ever run out.